0: Thank you how are you guys doing this morning? Fire, Fire. <laughs> I like that <laughs> um, if you guys don't know me I am Pastor Colleen I'm the student pastor here at this church so I oversee middle high school and college ministries which more for people online although I do see some faces here that I don't recognize but just so you know, our college ministry is up and running on Friday nights. If you are college age, here in this building starts at 7. I believe we don't really get started till 7.30. There's like fellowship and stuff like that. And then our youth group, which is middle and high schoolers, if you know anyone, is going to start back up this Wednesday. And that will be offsite at a park. So if you would like more information, come see me. Or you can email me at colleen at newlifecity.org. And yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and start us off in prayer and then I'm gonna jump right in. Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for every heart listening, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us and lead us and guide us. Lord, that you would anoint the words and the things that you're speaking in our lives and in our hearts. Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about the discipline of humility. And the reason I called it that was because humility takes practice, and it takes work, and it takes being committed to allow it to have the fullness of its effect in your life. And it's not something that one day just happens And it's something that you'll be working on probably your entire life until death and getting to see Jesus face to face in the fullness of his glory. And I think right now in this time with everything going on in our nation and everything even happening in the world and even in this own fellowship that it's such a time for us to humble ourselves for one another and for us to not think less of ourselves, it's not a degrading thing, it's not a beating up, it's not a self-loathing thing. but to think of ourselves less, and to posture our hearts in a place of understanding and listening. Not listening to respond, but listening to understand. And listening to hear one another, and to be with one another, and to walk through this together. And it's one of the things Paul in First Timothy tells, tells Timothy to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And there's a disciplining of ourselves that happens for us to reach the fullness of what Christ Jesus has for each one of us. And for his fullness to be accomplished in our life. And so many of us would like it to happen in a moment. Right, like I'd like for me to come up, get prayer, someone lay their hands on me, I fall down, I do whatever it looks like, you stand there, whatever it looks like for you. But in that moment, all of a sudden everything's changed and my life's perfect now. And I'm at the fullness of what Christ has for me. But it's not the way that it works. And there's moments where we can have these impartations, but impartations are a seed that we then have to grow and water and allow to have the fullness of the work in our life. And humility is the same thing. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not when you're a new believer, all of a sudden you're the most humble person in the world. In fact, I'll talk a little bit later, but my new believer days were some of my most arrogant days of my entire life because I was invincible, because I now had Jesus inside of me and nothing could stop me and nothing could hurt me or harm me. But man is not naturally humble, but pride comes to us naturally. It's as easy as sleeping for us to rise up in pride. And for any of us, you can tell it in a moment if someone comes and critiques you and your natural response is defensiveness. It's the very first thing not to humble ourselves and to listen and to try to take the good feedback and let the rest go to waste. But our natural response is to be defensive and to get angry. And if you're anything like me, I have to go home and then sort myself out before I can come back to that conversation and have that conversation in a humble manner. And I can actually receive from that person because my puffed up arrogance gets a control of me really quickly and it gets ahead of me. And so it's not our natural state. In fact, Satan's very, 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 very basic sin was his pride and his arrogance. He sees God, he sees him in all his glory, he sees him for who he is, and he thinks that the creature can become the creator. And he thinks that in that moment, I want to be like God. And I'm going to not only be like God, I'm going to rise above God. And I'm going to have everyone bowing down to me and everyone worshiping me. And if you read in Isaiah, which I don't have the passage pulled up, but if you read in Isaiah, he says, I like 10 times to get his point across, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be worshipped. I'm going to ascend to the heavens. I, 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 I. And it was that very pride that caused Satan to fall and caused him to be cast out of the presence of the Lord. And it's in our basic nature to rise up about ourselves and to rise up and make our lives about us. And we think about ourselves more than anyone else. It's just natural. You think about yourself more than anyone else in the entire world. And you think about your world and you, you, you. In fact, in dream interpretation, the very first thing they say is 90% of your dreams are about you. Unless you have an extreme prophetic gifting, then the number drops. But the majority of dreams are about the dreamer. And it's us working ourselves out and allowing things to work inside of us. But in order to follow Christ, the very first thing he says is to deny yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Very first thing is denying yourself. You can't take up anything until you do that. You Can't bear the burdens. You can't walk the walk. You can't follow him until you deny yourself. And it's a daily thing that happens in our life over and over and over again. And as Paul puts it, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. And we work out what it means to walk as a Christian, what it means to walk this walk, what it means for us to follow Christ to love him, to seek him, to do his will on our life, to honor him so that Jesus gets the full reward of his suffering in our lives. That's my heart cry. It's my heart cry that Jesus would get the full reward of his suffering in us and among us, as me individually and us corporately. But there's a denying of ourselves that has to take place And right now in our world, it's so divided and device. It's just so divided because of all of these different things that are going on. And you have everything coming together at once. You have this global pandemic, and then now that it's lifting, you have everyone's disagreements about what's the right way to handle it and what's the right way not to handle it and what you should do and what not you should do. And you can find experts on every side, every side in this thing that tell you one way or another. And then you have the race issue in our country, and it's dividing people. And then you have people rising up in defense on either side of those issues, which as the people of God, all of us should be against racism. That's just basis as the people of God, all men are created equal in God's image, all of them. But you have that, and then you have um, a election year in our nation. If you're in other nations, then it could be different. But in our nation election year, with one of the most controversial presidents we've ever had, at least in my lifetime for sure. I don't know about ever, but at least in my lifetime for sure and the political parties that rise up. And in all of these things, the tactic of the enemy is to say, if you're not on my side or if you don't agree with me, then you're not worthy. Your opinion doesn't matter, what you think doesn't matter, and I can't even honor and respect and love you. And it's the tactic of the enemy in this season. And so many, I'm like grieving as I read through Facebook and it's not because of the posting of opinions but it's because I can see all the areas where the enemy has gotten into people's lives in this fellowship where they've got on one side or the other and they've fallen into the trap of going against their brother and sister rather than going against the forces of darkness that are at work in our land. And as Paul puts it, we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the powers of darkness that are at work. And we've become the accuser to each other. We've become the accuser. And it's not the way of Christ. It's never been his way. It will never be his way. It's not the way of Christ. So I'm gonna start off in Mark 10, go to Philippians 2, and then I'll finish off in 1 Peter 5. For those of you, I don't have slides, but if you have your Bibles, that's where I'm going. So Mark 10, starting in verse 35. And James and Johns, the sons of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder, came up to him and said to him, "'Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we want.'" What a bold statement to make to Jesus. Jesus come, be our genie, be Santa Claus to us. We want you to give us whatever we want. We want you to do this for us. And I've definitely been in that position in my life. No, I mean, there probably is a little shame. I don't have shame because Jesus worked it out of me now. But I've been in that position in my life where you've been in a situation over and over and over again and all you want is for Jesus to do what you want Him to do in that situation. You're like, if Jesus, you would just do this, then this situation would be done and I'd be out of it and I wouldn't have to walk through it anymore. And I've been in situations where I get out of it and then it seems I turn the corner and I'm right back in a very similar situation. And it's like, what the heck? Didn't I just learn this lesson? Didn't I just get out of this situation that I'm in? And it's, it's our desire to think we know best for our lives. And we know best of what's to come and what's to happen and what it should look like that we ask these kind of questions to Jesus. I had a youth uh, last week call me distraught. She texted me like three different nights, really late at night, and she called me distraught about she's not hearing from the Lord. And we talked about it for a little bit, and I finally said to her, Ask him different questions. What questions are you asking him? Ask him different questions. If you're not hearing from him, ask him a different question. And I got to meet with her later and she was like, you have no idea how much my mind was blown by that for days and days and days because I'd been wrestling with the Lord, asking him the same question. And then we get caught up in why is he not answering and is there something wrong with me? And then we go down this dark path of blaming ourselves and self-loathing. But they asked Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus doesn't fall for it, but he says to them, and what is it you're asking me to do for you? What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So they come in this bold fashion to say, we wanna sit one at your right, one at your left, which are the places of honor We don't care which one sits at which side. We just want the places of honor. We're brothers here. We're in this together. We want the places of honor. And we want it in your glory. So we want it in the best of what you have, Jesus. We wanna experience your glory. We want your glory. We want it manifested. Moses asked the same thing. Lord, show me your glory. Isn't that the cry of our hearts? Lord, we wanna see your glory. We want to partner in your glory. We want to know your glory. And these two brothers asked him, Can we sit in those places of honor in your glory? And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. And are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able they obviously didn't know what they were saying yes to. They obviously didn't know that the cup that Jesus was getting ready to drink was a cup of suffering, of the worst kind of suffering. But they say yes. They want his glory And Jesus says to him, to get my glory and to sit in any kind of place with me, you're gonna have to drink the cup that I drink and you're gonna have to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. It's the only way, and they say yes. And they don't know that it will ultimately lead to their martyrdom for the king and the kingdom. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is, it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they, became, they began to be indignant at James and John. Why? Because they wanted the places of glory and honor. They wanted to sit at his right and his left. How dare you two, there's 12 of us and there's two seats. Why do you think you get those? These are the same disciples who walking along the road with Jesus are arguing about who's the greatest among them. None of them thinking, well, Jesus obviously is the greatest among us. He's right here with us. He's the son of man and all of these, he's the Messiah. He's everything we've been waiting for. No, they're arguing amongst themselves of who's the greatest. Who can be the greatest here? And so they're mad at these two brothers how dare you ask for something like that? And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority among them. So he tells them in the world, and it's still true in our world, we have employers and we have employees. We have rulers and we have lay people. We have Kings and queens and royalty, and then you just have normal. You have all sorts of socioeconomic classes. It's the reality of the world. You have all of these things, and they lord it over each other. They wear their badges, they wear their authority, they wear their titles, they wear anything they can, their education, anything they can to look down upon another person. They use it against one another. And it's true in our world. And it's one of the things that's happening right now. But it shall not be so among you. So Jesus very clearly says, you are called to live differently. Among you, you're called to not live that way. You're not called to look at someone based on their education or their stature or based on um, their authority or who they are, but you're called to look at everyone created in the image of God. Shall not be so among you. It doesn't matter what the world does or what's going on in the world. Among you as the body of Christ, you are different. And we're called to be different and we're called to live differently And we must, we must, we must, we must work and do that among each other. It's not to be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus takes it even further. Not only are you not to lord it over each other and use anything over each other, but you're to become a servant and even further than that, a slave. To one another, to all. You're to become a slave to all. Slaves don't have rights. Slaves do what their master tells them to do. And that's it. They wake up every morning, whatever the master says, they then go and accomplish. And Jesus modeled this for us by only doing what he saw the father doing. It's the only thing he do. He only said what he heard the father saying. He modeled us to be a servant to the father. And now we are servants to King Jesus. So we are to only do what he says and only to be who he's created us to be and to become a slave. To be so united with him and captivated by him that we can't do anything outside of his will. And it doesn't matter if it hurts my pride and it doesn't matter if I feel rejection and it doesn't matter if I'm humiliated. Doesn't matter. Because the fear of God is more important than any kind of fear of man. And to do his will is the bread of life. To allow him to work in our lives and work in our hearts. And then we go to Philippians 2. Now, this is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I'm starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he calls them to unity. If there's anything for any of this stuff, be unified, be unified. Have the same love, have the same heart, have the same mind, be in full accord. Well, how do you do that? You do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. The only way to achieve humility or to achieve unity is through humility. It's the only way, it's the only way. And the only way the things that are going on in our nations is for all sides to humble themselves. and to hear one another, and to seek for understanding and to be uncomfortable because it can be uncomfortable. And we're called to do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. Some translations will say are more important than I think doctors are a great example of this. They're a great example of this, our healthcare workers, who are on their feet for at least 12 hours a day, most of the time, if not longer, who give up lunch breaks because emergency after emergency after emergency comes in. And oftentimes the oath that a doctor takes, which I have doctors in here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure one of the things that they promise is to constantly do the best for the other person in front of them. And it's not based on whether that person deserves it or not. And it's not based on whether they're worthy or not. And this means someone who just came in, who's a murderer, who's done the worst and awful things, but they're dying. They come into the emergency room. You have these doctors who are working, and they haven't gotten a lunch break yet, they're hungry, but the emergency comes in and they deny their hunger and they drop themselves and they work on that person, no questions asked. No questions asked. Because the value of the life is more important than what anyone did in their past or what they're going to do in their future. You see, we fall into these places of judgment in our hearts and in our lives when we start to hold people up to these moral checklists. I don't know about you, but I would hate it if Jesus held me up to any kind of moral checklist. And morals are important and they're necessary but every single one of us, it comes out of our relationship with Christ. It comes out of knowing him and him living inside of us and working through us and working in us. They, in humility, they count others as more important than themselves. They lay aside their needs, they lay aside their desires, they lay aside their wants. They'll lay aside all their me, 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 me. In order to say, how can I serve you? How can I help you? What can I do for you? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the best interest of others. And this is where I think a lot of us can feel like, well, I don't want humility because that means I'm gonna be a doormat. And it means I'm gonna have to let everyone walk all over me consistently. And it means I'm gonna have to be like that movie, Yes Man, I think that's the name of the movie, where I just say yes, 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 yes to everything until I burn myself out and I've walked down that road and I've lived that life. But sometimes the best interest of others is saying no. And sometimes the best interest of others is confronting in love and truth. Sometimes it is, and it's why we need the wisdom to know what God's doing in each and every moment. My parents growing up, there were portions in my life And as silly as it is when I'm 10 years old and all of a sudden my mom says, okay, time to start doing your own laundry. And as a little 10 year old, you're like, what? You've done my laundry my whole life. Why do I have to do my laundry all of a sudden? My brother was four years younger than me. So why doesn't he have to do his laundry at this point? But it was for my best interest that I learned the responsibility in that moment to start doing my own laundry. And later it gets even more with finances and even more with relationships. And my parents would give advice, but they would never be controlling or demanding because it was my life and I had to learn the mistakes that I needed to make. And I had to walk it out and I had to be accountable for my choices. And it's hard when you're used to someone doing everything else for you to hear the no in that moment. But sometimes the no is the best interest of the other person. Sometimes the no is, I love you so much. I'm willing to go through the uncomfortable. I'm willing for you to be mad at me. I'm willing because it's more important that you learn and that you grow in this than it is for me to do everything for you. And sometimes the best interest looks like confrontation family is great at this if your family is anything like my family my family is blunt we're from the east coast there's no holding things back there's not really passive aggressiveness it's just aggressive and and you know what everyone thinks in that moment and i'm talking extended family i'm not talking just immediate family i'm talking extended family and Oftentimes, growing up, my siblings and I, when we would get into fights, someone would leave crying. Almost every time all of us were together, someone would end up leaving crying. Family's great at keeping us humble. They're great at being unafraid to call out our faults and to tell us where we are being hypocritical. We all need people to tell us when we're being hypocritical, because we all can be, and They're great at confronting things inside of us. And if your family's not great at it, then surround yourself with people who are. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And we need people in our lives who will speak the hard truths even when we don't wanna hear them. See, humility doesn't happen by ourselves if I'm in my room by myself all the time, then I can feel like I'm the most humble person in the world because humility happens through relationship and through conflict. It happens in seeing one another and saying, I love you so much that what you're doing and where you're going is going to be destructive and it's not the fullness of what Christ Jesus has for you. And so I'm going to say something about it. Surround yourself with people that aren't just yes people and agree with everything you say. Surround yourself with people who have different viewpoints, who have different backgrounds, who are challenging in every way in your life and purposefully pursue relationship with them, even though it's uncomfortable and unnatural. Surround yourself with people who will help to work out humility in your life. Pain helps work out humility in our lives. Anyone who's gone through any level of pain, it helps to work out humility in our lives. It's a companion that none of us want. And yet it forces us to see our limitations and to see the things inside of ourselves that need to be changed and need to be worked on. There's a reason that it's through suffering that character and perseverance is produced. James tells us that. There's a reason. It's in suffering and it's in the hard moments where you see what's actually inside of your heart. then you can allow character to be produced. And pain's not fun. No one wants to go through it. But it's a reality of life. And Jesus allows us to go through hard situations to work out things inside of us and to work out things around us. And he allows us to walk through pain and pain helps to confront selfishness, and to keep us humble. I know for myself, I never understood the life of someone who lives with a chronic illness until I was sick for over a year. And understanding the ins and outs of it and understanding the the pain and the hurt, and not just physically, but that you feel like you can't even build a life around it and you don't know if you can say yes in a situation because you can't make a commitment because it's not that you don't know how you're gonna feel that day. It's not, it's, you don't know how you're gonna feel that hour. You just don't know and how you have to change your whole life to walk in that. Man, and that year gave me a compassion I can't even describe for people with chronic illness. And I just had it for a year and watching my dad walk through pain for over 10 years as he battled cancer and the ins and outs of what it did inside of him and to our family and to all those who loved him, pain makes us humble. Then there's the seeing yourself rightly. We have to be able to see our strengths and our weaknesses. We have to be able to see our strengths and our weaknesses. If you don't have any weakness, then you have no need for community and you have no need for God and you have no need for each other. His strength is shown in our weakness. That's why Paul says, I'll boast in my weakness. We have to be honest with our strengths and our weaknesses. If you're the kind of person that just takes on everything after everything, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. There's temptation in that because our culture acknowledges that and praises that and says that that's the way to go. And those who are ambitious and those who will push themselves to the front of the line and those who have no boundaries are the ones who get the promotion. But the way of Christ is to work as a body. And the way of Christ is to say, I can't do that, but you do that because you're great at that. And I love you for that. And I love that your strength complements my weakness. And when we do that and we allow ourselves to see ourselves rightly, it frees us from comparison to others. Because all of a sudden my weakness isn't something to be ashamed of, but my weakness is the very thing that allows me to honor my brother and sister in Christ. It's the very thing that allows me to see them and to see who they are. I was a youth, I am a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And in my first year, I was like, I need a hype person around me. I am not a hype person. I am not the person who's going to just like, yell and jump and scream. It's not me, it's not the way I'm built. But I know that teenagers need that. (laughs) They need someone who's gonna yell and jump and scream around them and in front of them. And so I surrounded myself with young people who would do that. I needed them. Not because I need to be hyped, but because for the sake of the ministry to accomplish the fullness, there has to be someone that can have excitement in the room and who can lift the room with energy and who can get the kids all bouncing at the same time screaming something. We need each other We need each other. And then there's the recognition of those who have paved the way for you to be who you are and to get to where you are. And it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you've accomplished and it doesn't matter about anything. There is someone that paid a price so you don't have to pay it. Just as a citizen of this nation, there's people who paid prices that we don't have to pay. It doesn't matter. And there's that recognition of someone paved the way for me to be where I am. When I was a young Christian, I came to Christ so drastically and dramatically and it changed my whole life around. And I was zealous and on fire and very arrogant and thought no one could possibly know Jesus the way that I know Jesus, right? And then you send me on a mission trip with Randy Clark and I see a deaf ear open and I see someone walk out of a wheelchair when I pray for them and I see a blind eye open and all of a sudden my head's like, I'm the savior of the world. No one could possibly know Jesus the way that I know Jesus. And I had known Christians in my life, but their walk wasn't like my walk and they didn't have a dramatic conversion like I had. So obviously Jesus loves me better. And it's in the zeal and the pride and the immaturity of the new believers. But I remember I was praying one day, and I don't know about what, just praying. And the Lord started showing me all these faces, a lot of whom were in my family, in my extended family especially, but some I didn't even know or didn't even recognize. And the Lord said to me, if it hadn't been for them and their prayers and their commitment to you in prayer, you wouldn't be here today. It was them filling up the intercession bowls in heaven that dumped them out for you to be here. So don't think you're anything, Colleen. Don't think you're anything. Or as Paul says it, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you have received it, why are you boasting in it? Why not boast in the fact that you've received it? And there has to be recognition for each one of us of those who have paved the way, who have gone before us, whose shoulders we stand on, And how thankful we are to them. How thankful I am that I had aunts and uncles who dedicated themselves to pray for me daily. Even though I was a lost girl and there was no sign that I was going to turn my life to Christ. And yet they said, I'm gonna pray for you. How thankful am I that I had a grandma who would sit there and read her Bible when I was young and pray and was so faithful to her little Baptist church and would pray for each of her grandchildren. We have to recognize the people who've gone before us. And then Paul goes on to say, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus, King Jesus, the one that we love, the one that we worshiped, leaves the glories, the riches, everything that heaven has to offer, he leaves it all behind. There's no earthly comparison I could make for us to understand the sacrifice that that took. There's nothing Best I could do is if like you looked at a pile of ants and you decided I'm gonna go become an ant and live among them. Like he left it all behind. In our movement, we pray for heaven to come to earth. We pray in those realities. We all want to see heaven to earth. And Jesus left it all, he left it. To come to earth in the form of a man and to live among men. Born of a woman. Form of a man to live among men. And his suffering was his whole life, not just his last moments on the cross. His whole life. Living among men who didn't understand him. Living among men who mocked him. Living among men who had unbelief in their hearts. Living among men who he day after day after day, and yet they still didn't get it. The suffering of our Savior to walk like a man. To leave it all behind. And he took the form of a servant. He left his ideals of what it's supposed to look like and his ambitions and the things that he wants to do in order to accomplish what the Father wanted. He left it all for the Father. And it wasn't, this is one of my favorite passages in scripture, and I read it constantly. And it wasn't until this time that I read it that I realized I've been making this passage all about me. He left all of that for me. But at the end it says, for the glory of God the Father. He didn't leave it for me. He left it to fulfill the Father's purposes on the earth. And yes, I'm a benefactor of that. And yes, I'm included in that. But he left heaven in order for the Father's purposes, to please the Father, to give the Father everything that he wanted and desired and isn't that our life, to please Jesus, to give Jesus everything that he desired and he wanted, our King of kings and Lord of lords who left the highest places to suffer on our earth, to die the death of a sinner, the spotless lamb, to die the death of a sinner and to give himself And we struggle to humble ourselves on Facebook. And we struggle to humble ourselves in relationships. And we'd rather let relationships be broken than to take the lowest place. Jesus wasn't willing to let relationships be broken. And man, am I so thankful for him for that. Man, am I so grateful that He was willing to come and pay the highest price. So grateful, so eternally grateful for Him to come and be glorified. And it's our honor and it's our privilege, church, to follow Him and to glorify Him with our lives and to think less of ourselves and to count others as more important than ourselves, to allow humility to accomplish its work inside of us, for us to receive the fullness of who Jesus is and for Jesus to receive the fullness of his suffering. I'm gonna have you guys go ahead and get ready for communion. And I'm just gonna read this last passage over us. This is in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We humble ourselves by knowing that he cares for us and placing our trust in him. We humble ourselves by resisting the devil. Devil looked at pride and himself and him wanting to be equal to God and him wanting to lord over God. Jesus, the one who is equal, went the total opposite way and emptied himself. So we resist the devil. We renew our mind by being sober minded, by being watchful. We persevered says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And lastly, we surround ourselves with community. Community allows us to know we're not alone. It allows us to be reminded that others are going through things that we're going through. It allows us to need one another, to honor one another, to cherish one another. Community is so vital to our relationship with Christ. He designed us as a body. He designed us as a body. And so Jesus, we thank you for your body that was shed for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and lived life as a man. And you were broken and beaten and shattered. And the very first thing that came from your heart was forgiveness. And so right now, we just take the bread in remembrance of your body, Jesus. your blood Lord we just thank you thank you for your blood thank you that through through the shedding of your blood we are all united in you God and right now we just drink the cup in remembrance of your suffering and all that you've done for us